House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren. Mr. Dave Martino is in the room. I am here. I've yeah. crawled up from the basement of the uh, House of Mystery. Yeah, they let you out for once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you Igor. Igor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Igor. Master. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way I like my men. Master. <laughs> that's the way. Behave. That's the way. You know. What well, was exciting today? So, Fall, what have you done? Did you, have you done your pumpkin lattes or any of that pumpkin stuff yet? Or what's going on? I hit a Halloween pizza. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, does that mean there's pumpkin on it? No. Oh. No. But then it's just Have you pizza. had pumpkin lattes? Um no. I had one. What I what I did was I ordered a cold brew. How's that? Oh. Cold, like cold brew, brew pumpkin. And it was okay. Oh. But the exciting thing for me was Count Chocula cereal. Oh, it's back? It's back. Oh. Yeah. I got three boxes. <laughs> that's awesome it's that's not really like easy. monster mash right no no you see no because, because last year they didn't have it oh, last wow. year they mixed all three of them they had uh frankenberry count chocula and booberry yeah. all mixed in one box it was just awful it sounds it's <laughs> the worst mess they could have ever done i hope someone got fired <laughs> anyway but so yeah so it was exciting i had the, got the real stuff and wow. it's, it's probably the worst thing for me but you know you Somebody's got to do it. Can, I, can you taste again? No. After, no. <laughs> no, I still can't taste. <laughs> taste I'm starting to smell coffee a little bit, but there's still okay. no flavor, so I'm saving it. Don't worry about it. Oh, that. I see. Yep. I've got the boxes sitting there on standby, and they're waiting <laughs> for that second, you know, but maybe it'll not happen. Yeah, I don't know. Well. Now, speaking of, of the count, we've got the count with us today. Oh. Uh, the count of something. Um, horror. Not horror. Horror writer. <laughs> so, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, his writing, and we're going to talk about, I guess, the latest uh, book that he's got called Throwing Shadows. So, Mr. Jerry Roth, thank you for sitting in here with us. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be on here with you. And first off, uh, I'm not a Count Chocolate guy, but I am a Frankenberry guy, so I get that every year. That's my go-to. Well, I like Frankenberry, too. Don't get me. I, I, I do. Um, I, I can do both, but the store only had Count Chocolate. Oh, okay. And and last year, they had that Munster mash. That was bad. They, that's just oh. got to be. Someone <laughs> should be actually shot for this. I think they are. I think it was in the papers for a while there that, you know, an executive was uh, – but quartered for that, but yeah, that's that was a bad one. We we had that last year too, and we were so disappointed. So we got we're back to the good stuff now. Yeah, what kind of a mess with that? That was terrible. <laughs> anyway, I mean, someone deserves prison. <laughs> Let's see, where did you come from? The the bottoms of Ohio, um, awful place. So I can see why you write horror. The dregs of of humanity. No, I have I live. Uh, <laughs> I live out in the country of Ohio, which is kind of, uh, I don't know, that's an oxymoron or something. So, yeah, I I live in Ohio. I actually live in a 1908 Catholic church that we converted to a family home. So um, I'm not only a horror writer, I'm living the horror lifestyle over here in Ohio. Wow. Is there any bodies in the basement or something or uh, the, we, ghosts or something like that? Bodies that we put in there or from the previous owner? Well, you know, we don't have to admit that, but just if there's <laughs> bodies there. You know. <laughs> no, not, nothing nothing so so grotesque, unfortunately. But uh, a lot of inspiration, you know, in an old Catholic church. Well, do you hear do you hear people walking around at night and noises and stuff like that? You hear someone's praying at night or you know, we do. And so that must be a normal thing when you think of an old church because we hear footsteps above us all the time and we're like, Okay. We'll just move on with our day. You know, that's kind of really, I'm just thinking about this. This is, that's really kind of scary in a sense that, you know, that, um, because now they're discovering all those, um, 
children's bodies in all the churches there, the Catholic churches throughout Canada now. There's been three or four now where they've discovered 70 or 80 bodies. of uh, Because what they did was the the government allowed the church to um, take uh, Aboriginal, like uh, First Nations children, Right from the from the natives, and they they would take them because they were going to teach them how to be a good Christian and not a savage. That was sure. the thinking. So so they took them and they would put them in these Catholic schools, uh-huh. and of course you know they grow up and they send them out in the world, right? And um, a lot of people, a lot of these kids went missing or were never heard from again or um, Whatever, there's all sorts of stories for years and years. And then about three or four years ago, in the first one they found, at the first school, they found 120 bodies of children. And now there's been three or four now where they've found similar. So, it, because, and they would have never known. Huh. Uh, it's, it's accidental. And now they're, yeah, the Pope was just in Canada apologizing. So, so they were. I must. I guess. I'm guessing they were backsliding Christians at some on some form. They didn't make the cut. Um, I don't know. Well, you know, there's all sorts of. You see, it's this leads to rumors because now nobody knows because you know there's no. You don't have the records of the church, and the government didn't really do it. They just said, "Oh yeah, well, what better to take these savage kids and send them to a church, and then they'll learn." the right way so what they were doing with these children you know there's the story that there was probably some sort of virus or some sort of thing that happened but Mm -hmm. or disease but the thing is why would it only hurt the indian children and not the white children that's true (laughs) right and then there's the now the latest rumor i've heard is that they are they were doing experiments on these children sort of like um you know for different testing different diseases and, and viruses out and cures and they're using these kids for that again that's that's rumor there's no there's no fact to this that's, that's just, crazy yeah was the name was this was the name of this church pfizer by any chance <laughs> <laughs> now now i'm not saying that <laughs> okay i'm starting to hear some inference here so yeah no no not at all actually all, all right. i'm bill gates and no it was actually <laughs> No, for for the most part, there really is none in that sort of way. Because right. remember, back even in in the U.S., they were trying out you know different things on black men, like the Tuskegee Airmen and stuff. They were trying different. Right. They would inject them with things and then see what you know. So there, so it's kind of along those lines. Not that it was a particular um, vac- vaccine or company like that, uh, health company, because I don't think they were that prevalent back then either no. uh, it was more of a government agent of some sort that was well, I, that was i'm glad we live in the safe times of 2022 then oh please <laughs> 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 oh my god i yeah i tell you i couldn't i couldn't live a saner life than i do now yeah. um but yeah so anyway so i it's a, so i wonder because that that always leads you to think well i wonder where else this is going on you know, right. maybe uh, maybe churches in America. So maybe, yeah, where you are now. Well, you know, it's it's definitely interesting because we have a you know we have a crawl space under our our the, the structure of our home, so we had to do repairs once in a while, and me and my son go under there, um, and we and you know they bury the, you know there's a all the way up to the top of the crawl space there's a pile of dirt you know that makes it a crawl space, but you can as you go into the back of the of the church. We, you can actually see a little part of the back of an archway, of a doorway, just the top, but the rest of it is buried. So my son wants to unbury it and see if it's, you know, if there's an actual level below and where this little doorway leads. So I was like, he can do that when he takes over the house. I don't think I'm ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You just never know. You no. never know what's going on. So, but where does this come from for you? Like you're, you're writing in this style of writing that's uh, horror and right. kind of dark in that. So so what happened in your life to make you be so so dark? Like are you are you, do you have a vampire for I a love father? that that's 
I love that that's the question. Is what's wrong with you? What did yeah, you what's, what's, well, and I didn't say it that way. I just you said, know. remember, I, not wrong. I said, what happened to you? You see, because personally, right. um, I was brought up with a vampire. So, you know, I understand yeah. this life. So I'm just wondering, like, uh, sure. uh, were your parents witches and vampires? And You know what? I, I, I was born, you know, I was born in the 70s and grew up in the 80s. So there was, you know, even as much as you can say it was a politically correct time, it seemed like the movies and the TV shows and the things you watched were definitely a lot looser. Our par- My parents, we watched whatever our parents watched. There was no kid shows back then for me, you know. So if my parents were watching a scary movie, guess what? All the kids were watching a scary movie too. So we had a kind of different outlook on life, I guess, back then than we do now. Now, you know, you put your kids in front of a, a purposeful you know, Disney movie or a cartoon. And, but, uh, I was kind of, I was kind of brought up watching horribly scary movies and maybe, you know, some things that I shouldn't have seen. So I, I, uh, you know, one of my first memories was watching the exorcist at probably five or six, not that I understood much, but those are the kind of things that kind of influenced me early on and kind of, you know, it showed me that there were more to life than just, uh, you know, the romper room that was around or uh, Captain Kangaroo or whatever was at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so long as you didn't mix the two. Well, yeah. I'm, you know, <laughs> I think they do that nowadays. I think there's a, a kid's game where you're in a Chuck E. Cheese fighting for your life. So I think uh, they've even moved beyond where I was as a kid. Yeah. Well, that's good. I think, but <laughs> nice. So how, but, Okay, so you were you were brought up in a in a in a way that you were seeing scary things from a young age that adapts you. You get very normalized in that way. Right. But how? But but what made you think that you could write? That's a good question. You know, I I I you know I don't I think one of, especially writing maybe art in general. You kind of know early on. It seems seems like anybody who has any kind of creative spark. They kind of they're informed, you know, internally at a young age. And I remember at, a, at, at you know when I was a kid, I would bring friends over and I would tell them stories. You know, I could, you know, even when I was before I could read, I was telling, uh, reading or pretending to read my my books and and making up stories to you know to either scare them or freak them out or even just entertain them. So, uh, and even years later when I you know, it was in elementary school, I would, I was the guy that would be telling the stories on the bus on the way there and the way back. Uh, and if I could frighten them or scare them or get them excited about my stories, then it was a win. Wow. So you were like a real mean kid. <laughs> I did have a mean streak, but uh, I, I've transitioned into writing it and down so that I could be more friendly. Yeah, you were going around making kids cry on the <laughs> <laughs> And it wasn't hard back then. <laughs> they believed anything. <laughs> you know. Oh, that's crazy. Um so let, let's talk about your first book then. So when when was the the first time that you actually got a book out there for people to read and and kind of um what's your experience with that? Yeah, I'll, definitely. I'll tell you that story. Uh, I, you know, I was, I'm a late bloomer. I guess like if you were in the entertainment business, somebody would like Rodney Dangerfield would have been a late bloomer he, to the entertainment business. Um, and I, you know, I started a family and I work at a pharmacy. So I, I wrote things and I put them in a drawer for many years. Um, of all years, 2020, I decided, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to you know, test the waters. So I sent it out to, and the very first person I sent it out to, which was Sunbury Press, uh, they immediately signed me up. They said, yeah, we like your story. And, and that book was called Bottom Feeders. Um, and it's about a, it's about a prison warden in Ohio. He's a young guy, youngest guy ever to become a prison warden in the town. Uh, and the first day on a job, he opens up a drawer and he finds a diary. And the diary says, written by the last prison warden says that he found the devil and that he put him underneath the prison and you know don't release him so that's like the starting point off of my book so it's it's definitely a horror base and it's very scary so uh that was kind of my uh 
entry into writing. And uh, it, was a, it was a strange time because 2020 was the worst time that you could even want to be a published author. You know, I everything was locked down. I had no way of even doing book events or signings. So it was a weird um, you know, boy in a bubble kind of experience for my first novel. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. And, uh, and so when you take a story like that and you put it in there, did you, did you have a point to that story? Like, you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, know, when you write horror, you know, most of the characters, they suffer, unfortunately, uh, to the writer's delight usually. But what I really was trying to get at with the story is that we're all kind of, um, cause it's set in a prison, but all, all the characters, um, are really, they're kind of stuck in their own prison. Maybe it's their mind or it's their way of life or maybe um, their childhood. So they're all trying to battle against, uh, you know, a battle against nature, battle against things that usually will keep you down. Um, but with horror elements involved. Well, you know, when you, but when you do that um, and you say writing uh, and suffering characters and stuff like that, how do you, how do you attack something like that? How do you, yourself get into the um, mind of someone that's suffering because they, they, you put them in a position where they're um, let's say suspense or fear is going on I'd imagine right. and so with that how, how are you able to write it to make it so that it feels real yeah I think you know I when I started out my career before I ever became a uh, novelist I started out writing screenplays that was kind of my enjoyment on my off time. And, you know, with when you do a screenplay, um, whether you know or not, you sort of you're, you're it's a bare bones thing because you're you know, you put in very little, you know, description on the page so that you can fill it out, you know, and let the director take over. But um, after I did that, I did a, a, a couple of screenplays. And when I turned to a novel, I was just so excited that I was actually able to use so many more words and, and so much more narrative and atmosphere and description so that, you know, when I, when I make a, a character and I put them on the page, they start out a, a blank slate, really. But I don't know any more about that character than the reader would. Um, and I let that character kind of live and breathe on the page and evolve. And I, and, you know, I kind of add more challenges and more challenges to the point where you kind of get a full story and background about the character and kind of understand them and they can truthfully come to life by the end of the novel, hopefully. Did you find it difficult to transition from that bare bones screenplay writing to uh, writing prose fiction? You know, I, the transition was easy when it came to the writing, you know, the writing was, was not the problem. The problem is, is letting uh, letting the pages take their time. You know, when you're doing a screenplay, you're doing a scene and you're writing, you're putting all the good stuff right there and on each page because you only have so many pages to use. Uh, the hard part was letting, letting it kind of, um, let it marinate, let it kind of stretch out for 300 pages. That's really what the challenge is, you know. I mean, unless you're talking about a, a writer like Stephen King that writes, you know, 600-page novels or, you know, 1,100-page novels. Um, but for most of us, you know, just letting, just giving people little hints and clues as you go along, but still keeping the reader interested, but letting it drag out. I think that's really where the challenge is. Stephen King, he writes for. <laughs> I have, I mean, I heard the name once, so. Okay. Uh, I can't find him on, on Amazon either, so I guess maybe, maybe he's not doing that well. I think he retired a couple years back. Oh, gave up. Hey, nobody would buy him. and <laughs> You know, I know about that. I just... and, and how's it how's it when you write the evil character, again, uh, when you're writing yeah. uh, in the mind of someone evil, do you, do you enjoy having people suffer and so you like being the evil character? See, I've listened to your show, and I've heard you ask others this question before. So uh, either you're part psychiatrist or uh-huh. I, don't, I don't want to lead the witness. But, yeah, you know, I, you know, there's, there is, you know, that's like the best part of us to explore is all the things we're not allowed to say. You know, most people, they say, please tell me what I'm not allowed to say so I can say it. And in in a way, that is what you're when you're writing a really evil character or a really despicable person or even a good character that's doing some really 
you know, atrocious things. Uh, that's where, that's the, that's the fun part. You know, you can step outside, you know, hopefully most writers are stepping outside of their, of who they are and to, to do that. And, you know, that, that's fun to really see, you know, what you, you know, what kind of things you can make a character do. Do you, do you tend to get into the gore and slash sort of part of things or is this more suspense? Um, you know, I, I, I kind of run the gamut when it comes to that. My very first book um, is a mystery horror and it's, there's a lot of gore in that just because I, you know, the characters are so despicable and, you know, you're based on a serial killer that's part of it. So you, I was kind of, you know, forced to show the grotesque parts of that. So there is a lot of gore. Uh, the book that I wrote recently, uh, I I kind of avoided it. I wanted to take another trip. I wanted to use horror, but do it in a different way. At the end of the day, like when you when you write a book like this, mm-hmm. um, what do you get out of it? Well, I think what most people get out of it is um, it's cathartic in a way. It's it for most writers, and I, and I definitely would say it's for me. It's almost as if you are seeing a therapist. You know, you get a lot of uh, your daily life, you take, you know, you, you put it on the page and you walk away like satisfied that you've accomplished something. But more than that, kind of clear your mind of the things that are kind of rattling around in there. Well, I, I don't have anything rattling around. <laughs> <laughs> There's no bats in your belfry? No, it's just, okay. You know, it, it's drained and <laughs> it does nothing. Well, and so who are your influences? And it doesn't necessarily have to be writers. Like, do you have influences in, in music or in uh, right. some some other sort of thing? Well, I mentioned Stephen King, but you know, I to be honest with you, in like my modern day life as a writer, uh, Quentin Tarantino had, did early on. In you know, he was a big influence on me. You know, I remember when Pulp Fiction first came out. I think it was 1994. He kind of changed the landscape of what writing was. And I first thing I ever did was. I bought, uh, I, I guess it's a novelized version of his screenplay. And I remember reading that cover to cover and thinking, man, I, you know, there is nobody in my opinion that can write dialogue that is, you know, it's real, but it's super real. So I was influenced by how well and how interesting he wrote dialogue. Someone once said that, he, if God was a screenwriter, that's how he would write the dialogue. And, and for me, it was true. He was an inspiration. You know, I wanted to be a screenwriter at the time, but not only that, he knows how to tell a story. So how do you know when, when it's good? Like what, what's good to you in horror? Right. Yeah. That's, that's the really, that's the question. And people have it all the time. I mean, I, I think if you're, when you're an author, you have family and friends that say, you know what, I you should tell my story. It's very interesting, and most of the time it's not. Yeah, <laughs> you know, sounds like a book and, signing. <laughs> and, yes, exactly. And, and you know, I have author friends, and we discuss it all the time. And they're like, you know, should I do it? And I was like, listen, you know, you know that that's what that's what makes a, a writer a writer and everybody else a little bit different is that we can kind of discern what we think other people will be interested in, you know, not everybody gets it right. And sometimes you kind of swing for the fences and put your own spin on what you love. Cause you could, you could fall down a trap where you say, you know what, I really love this, but maybe not everybody is, but I think you learn really soon, especially with your readership is what works and what doesn't. So uh, where do you get your characters from? Are they, are they people, you know, are you talking about your family and, and uh, like, let's put some names. I want some real names. Are you trying to get me? To yeah, yeah. No, I, I uh, want the names. I want where you got them from. And hold on a second. My lawyer is on the oh, other line. Yeah. Your lawyer is one of them, probably. <laughs> probably, I would use that. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty bad. No, but you go to a coffee shop, you know, for instance, or yeah. you're hanging out, and then you just see someone, and and the way they talk and act, and you kind of go, "Oh, that that's an interesting character." Like, did, does it come that way? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think you want to explore everything around you. I mean, nine times out of 10, the people that you're 
making characters are not that great of people or they're annoying or something stands out about them that's irritating. Those are, you know, those are the gold mines of characters. It's the it's the subtle characters, the everyday man that are more difficult to kind of uh, mold and create but yeah i mean looking around it's easy i mean if you spend a half an hour watching the news or or you know anything on tv or social media right now i mean the characters write themselves I mean, they're more far more interesting characters on social media alone than i could ever put on paper so i got to come up with a story that's more interesting than my characters at some point well, I'm interested, too, in how you write dialogue. I know writing screenplays, it's it's more dialogue heavy. And um, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, do you have an inner monologue? Um, can you hear uh, your characters? Yeah. Is that is that how you do it? Absolutely. You know, I, I, you, there's, I, I don't think there's any other way of doing dialogue than putting yourself in the place of the character because, you know, there's going to be characters that have different, you know, cadence to them, different uh, styles that they're going to speak, you know, men or women are going to speak and, and talk differently. So I always put myself into um, their character. And usually that's, you know, when I have a, a dialogue heavy story that I'm writing, I usually will try to finish, um, you know, I don't want to take any breaks from it because, you know, that, those are the things that, that start to fade away is that voice of, of a of a character. If you take a little too uh, long vacation away from a, a certain story or piece. So that's really the challenge for me. Do you find it hard to separate um, these voices from real life? Uh, <laughs> 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 well, I mean, you know, Xanax, Xanax helps sometimes. <laughs> uh, you know, no, I that's usually not a problem. But, uh, um, I mean, definitely there are some characters that kind of live with you for a long time, especially some of the more, you know, the the more violent characters, if you write, you know, if you write horror, you're going to write characters that uh, have no, uh, no value in life. So those are the ones that stick with you a while. And, and I think the side effect of doing that really, it isn't anything in diabolical, but it brings out the cynic in you. I mean, me and my family could be watching um, a TV show and I'm always going to take the dark twist of what something is meaning behind it, opposed to my family, which are, of course, normal. So yeah, yeah, they've got very few closet <laughs> skeletons like you. <laughs> well, you know, it's just interesting too because when you release bottom feeders, and like you said, then there's like the lockdown, and it's everything's uh, going ass backwards, as they, you know. Right. And so yeah. when all this is going at the same time, you put out uh, on the tip of her tongue, and then now right. you've got this new one that just came out here. Um, in October on the 25th called Throwing Shadows. So, right. so you, you've managed to create two new books. And, um, I, I, I sort of wonder if, um, being in the pandemic has kind of contributed to the, the evilness of these books. <laughs> you know, um, I would say, I'd like to agree with you, and it sounds good to say on an interview that it did. Well, we'll say it on air, and then you can tell me the truth. <laughs> <laughs> we'll speak behind the scenes. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I think what we've learned from a pandemic, or at least that I feel that we've learned, is that um, we all go to our comfort spot. And it wasn't necessarily writing for me. It took me a long time to get back to writing. I mean, you know, oh. we wore out our Netflix or our streaming. Oh, you're, you're the guy that went to the store and bought all the toilet paper. Yeah. We, you know, it's, <laughs> I have some for sale still. It's, I, I, I didn't mark it up anymore, but, yeah. but yeah, I, so it like, that was uh it was actually a challenge to keep writing through it all. I mean, there were too many things to, um, to occupy your time and mind. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people are like that in different ways. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talked to writers, and, and it seemed to have either the uh, way of totally shutting down writers, and some people were unable to really do much or very well, and others right. sort of really it sort of helped them. So it's kind of – it can go either way, I guess. It depends on, on your own personality and what affects you. And stuff. And, Absolutely. You know. And I was surprised that one of the things that surprised me when the pandemic, you know, I thought, you know, in my, uh, you know, my naive mind that, you know, my book's coming out in 2020 and people are shut down in their house 
and they're going to read more than they've ever read in their life. And, you know, all of me and my friends were going to be bestsellers in, in 10 days, you know, time. And it turns out that, you know, people did less reading than they ever have during a pandemic, which is, I don't know if it's sad or, you know, but that was the reality that I had to come to terms with. Well, it's just easier to turn on streaming. There's so much True. stuff on on TV now with streaming networks that um, I think it's easier. Yeah. You know, they don't have to think you can, you right. can let yourself drift and not really um, a, a book is more, a little bit more disciplined. Right. I agree. Yeah. You know, and, and the questions that you're at, the only question you're asked when you're watching streaming is are, are you done watching this program yet? Yeah. <laughs> Which comes up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, and it, it just varies, you know. I, I mean, my my books really stopped selling because I put all my books in every bathroom, you see, and and yeah. all the bathrooms got shut down, all the public bathrooms, so <laughs> nobody could read my books. <laughs> I, was like, you know, I have to. That's what I blame it on. But absolutely. So, what's your structure I'm... like then? How do, how does Jerry Roth write? Yep. Does he? Did you do? You, set times aside and tell everyone they're not allowed in the house and stuff like, are you real strict in your regimen and you can kind of sit down and do this uh, planned writing or does it just sort of hit you and you have to be in the mood and then you run into the bathroom and write down the story? Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, my, my family don't, doesn't, don't like it when I, you know, set down times, but times are the only way I can get it done. To be honest with you, I, you know, there are people who, who are mood writers and, you know, those people usually don't have a full-time job and they don't have a family because it's so difficult, you know, to be able to just, you know, say, okay, everybody leave me alone. I'm going to do some writing. So I usually set a good time either late at night or early in the morning. And, and I, give myself, you know, here's my clock in time and a clock out time. And it makes it, it, it kind of destroys the, the, the part of me that just wants to procrastinate. No, unless of course you've killed your family and you put them in the basement. That's really good. <laughs> that, great That's, source material. Let me write this down. What is that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, how do you, how do you keep track of uh, the continuity in your books? Uh, do you have a, a tools or any type of process you know i if you if you happen to read bottom feeders um a lot of my readers tell me that it's the most complex story because there, there's a lot of different characters and, there, and the threads that you know inner interwoven together um but in all honesty i am a pantser i do not put anything down i don't write any kind of structure i sometimes have a glimmering idea of how that's going to end and I, I start a blank slate and just let it all come out of my mind. So I have absolutely no structure, so I can't tell you. I feel like if I don't know where it's going, then my reader won't. And that's the only way I can kind of keep it fresh for them. Well, do you find that your characters um, kind of take over because of that? And, and have they ever, <laughs> you know, just kind of uh, just taken over the plot and... and... Take, Absolutely. Yeah, just painted yourself into a corner because of that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I good characters turn bad, and then bad characters, you know, they might have a, a golden heart at the end. So there's always that possibility that you can do a switchover. But, um, you know, I the characters kind of stay where they are, but the storyline is what really can have some um, – you know, I can do some damage with it. You know, I, one of the books actually I just finished, um, a, a work in progress. The book was going just perfectly and halfway through. You know what? I said, let's flip it around. And I had a whole new ending for the book, which I had no idea I was going to do. And and it actually kind of frightened me because I was like, you know, both ways are were great paths to a book but I couldn't tell which one was going to be a better book. So, you know, those are the challenges that I enjoy, but man, you, when you put it on paper, you like, you were like the writer is like the last person in control, at least the way that I do it. Wow. Now, now your new book, uh, throwing shadows, a dark collection. Now, right. from what I see, this is a collection of shorter stories. So yeah. what made you go that direction? Well, you, like I said, I'm a child of the eighties. And when I grew up, 
uh, I loved, you know, the Tales from the Crypt or um, Night Gallery, if you've seen that, or some of the, you know, the Twilight Zone. Those those shorts with the twists and the and and sometimes the scary things, those were like, those were my bread and butter. Those are stuff in, in that you, you know, that becomes a part of you, gets under your skin, and you. And what I wanted to do was take um, my love for that and kind of make a vintage feel with all these short stories so that you can just dive in. You know, some of them are even only 2000 words, but I want you to, I want them to have a lived in feel where you jump in, you feel what the character's going through and you kind of go on a short journey and move on to the next one. Wow. So where do you get your ideas from, from stuff like that? Or is it some thing that, um, you notice about life or somewhere society or something around you and you kind of get irritated and you sort of make it into something? Absolutely. You know. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the short stories in this book are grounded um, with real people. You know, there's there's mothers and there's fathers and brothers and sisters and there's there's different people that you wouldn't assume would have um, a horrible life or a horrible circumstance. But I throw these like everyday people into situations that are um, they're hard for them to deal with and uh, and kind of scary and frightening. But I find that that's the the best way to really kind of turn up a notch on on the fear factor when you're when you're a reader. Do you have Do you want a different outcome from from short stories like this, like this throwing shadows, and right. and someone reads this, mm-hmm. you want them to get something different than what you're putting out, let's say, with bottom feeders. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely with bottom feeders, I guess it's a, a more serious outing you know if you're if you're reading bottom feeders you're invested into the characters and their journey but uh you know that's something that's going to stay with you a long time some of the you know the horrific scenes but something like this something like uh throwing shadows you know i'm i'm also i wanted to scare you but i also want there to be a fun factor you know something that nostalgic you know something like if you read an old pulp uh, a novel in a day, you know, you're not, you're not taking it too seriously. And I think that's what I was kind of trying to bring to the table. Well, when it comes to, you know, short fictions, short fiction and novels, um, do you have a preference? Uh, do you consider yourself a natural novelist or a natural short story writer or, you know, how does that work for you? Well, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I guess if I was going to, uh, I guess if I was going to be pinned down, I guess I would think that I'm more of a novelist. But with a short story novel, it's kind of a, a labor of love that's been brewing for 20 years. One of the stories in uh, the short story novel, I was asked to do by my very first college English teacher. Um, and, and it was a story about a kind of a an evil ice cream man. And, you know, 25 years later, it ended up in my book. So... I wanted to kind of put a collection together of stories that were part of my journey as a writer. Um, and most of the time when you're writing short stories, it's because they're not really, there's not enough meat in it to make a, into a long form. So you kind of start something, you're like, um, I don't think this is going to be a 300-page book. So and a lot of times I would put that aside and I'd say, oh, I'll come back to that later. And maybe I'd finish it and maybe I wouldn't. But over the years, uh, they were always there waiting for me to put them into a collection. They don't still have ice cream men out there, do they? <laughs> you know, they do, but not too many places. They do in Ohio. Well, well, they probably have all sorts of things. They still have pay phones there, too, probably. <laughs> Only evil ice well, cream men. Evil ice cream right. men. They dress like a clown. <laughs> I think that's. A, I think that that's actually. You can put that on a resume. <laughs> evil ice cream man. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a term you can find on you know monster dot com. Wow, I want that business card. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> doing it already. Well, you know, but when we talk about ice cream man, evil ice cream man, you talk about characters yeah. like that. I always think that mm-hmm. um, the things that make a character stand out but still seem believable but mm-hmm. yet it's not is when you take a behavior or a habit some sort of aspect of their personality and you right. you enlarge it 
You know what I mean? Like you, yeah. you kind of blow it up in a sense so that it kind of becomes, it's almost crazy, but at the same time, that's what makes that character believable. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. That's uh, that's a great point. Yeah. So I, I but you see, when you do the short stories, mm-hmm. I think that's the big difference. So in throwing shadows, when you're ta- when you're doing these shorter stories, it's much harder to um, develop that character to that to the point of of that kind of behavior, that kind of. Do you know what I'm saying? Like uh, right. in a in a fuller book, you can go through the details and you can really emphasize their kind of kinky characteristics or weirdness right. and make it right. really come alive. In a short story, I imagine that's going to be a lot harder. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, um, you, you know, there's not much room for backstory when you're talking about a short story. So you're really just digging in and you're dealing with their fears and maybe their reaction to fears or the reaction to something that bad that's going to be happening to them or happening to them. So you're, you're kind of giving up one, um, you know, one feature for another. So you're kind of giving up maybe, maybe like the development, the evolution of a character for, for just diving in and you're, you're in the middle of whatever, you know, for lack of a better word, the hell that they're involved in. Yeah. So speed round. Do you like Frankenstein or Dracula better? <laughs> ah, that's good. Uh, I got to go with Dracula. Oh, there you go. Do you, do you, um, do you find older or let's say 60s and before that um, compared to, let's say, 80s or today's date? What, what, what kind of horror turns it on for you? Uh, I, I get so much, you know, um, backlash when I when I put down another one. But I so I like them all. But I, you know, my heart is always with the, you know, the years of like the Bella Lugosi, the the Lon Chaney. There was something. There's something very, um, I don't know, primal about those characters. You know, before you know you you before you could actually see somebody get torn apart. You had to imagine it in those movies. So I, I'm always drawn to those early characters, like the Nosferatu and and things that, you know, are, it, could this really be real? Because nowadays, you know, with CGI, anything could be real. Yeah, it takes the forefront now. The, the, the slash, the gore, the, all the effects really yeah. can kind of take mm-hmm. you away. I think right. I think the older shows, they had to, you had to make, you had to feel them. Right. You know, and I, I, I was just actually I, yet last night was just one of the uh, um, Jekyll and Hyde shows movies. Oh, okay. And it was it was great um, in the sense that within ten minutes you already knew who you hated. Right. Yeah. You know, like, like they really expressed <laughs> themselves, and you really caught it, and you know, and and it was there was great, and and. And when he took the serum, this was the two faces. So he takes the, right. and, you know, and he goes in some, he's dancing with some broad and she said something. So he just slaps her and laughs. And I thought, wow, right. this is great. It's, it's, it's the male's inhibition to be himself. Yeah. You know? And, but, but they really so, played it. Like, and I guess they yeah. had to because you didn't have all that stuff around, you know. Right. I mean, I think it's a technique. It's like, if you think about, you know, Stephen King, Stephen uh, Spielberg's, apologize, Stephen Spielberg's first film that kind of like was his popcorn film, which was Jaws, uh, you know, he was, because there were so many malfunctions with the shark that he was forced to make it more, you know, not seeing the shark, a lot of intense, a lot of, you know, you know inference of what could happen. And it, and it, and it kind of really sparked his career in a lot of ways because he was forced to go a different route than, you know, his normal ways. I mean, from then on, obviously, he had the technology to make anything appear on a screen. But, um, you know, I think that's what you get from those old movies is you get, you know, a feeling of what could happen, a dread you don't really get in today's movies. Yeah, yeah, there's some. And so, you know, um, of course, now you've seen Terrifier 2 yet. Uh, no, I haven't seen that. I, I'm afraid that I'm of what would happen to my bodily functions going into a theater. You know, I mean, there's all kind of things that could go wrong, and I don't think, you know, I, I definitely couldn't go it alone. I'm really surprised it's made such a big splash right. in 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 the world. Period. I mean, it sold millions, yeah. and it's doing really well. And yeah. and I'm shocked because it just seems kind of like a, an all out 
slash fest, which is fine. Right. But I'm just surprised right. that it's doing so well in mainstream. Right. You know, I just um, I'm just kind of shocked. And uh, and and I think both of us, both uh, Dave and I, have watched Terrifier one. You know, because we had to catch in on it, and it's yeah. it's really awful. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like the Friday the Thirteenth. You know, it's not high drama when you you know it's 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 a, it's kind of like an icon in our minds for the rest of our life. Those kind of movies, but you know, if you go if you dissect them, you know, some of them are not so great. But you know, they they struck a chord maybe with a certain you know uh, population or you know a time in our life. I think it's the self, this terrifier is a self-hate thing. You know, they cut a guy's penis off and they've got a woman's <laughs> oh draining out of her vagina, all sorts of weird stuff. I mean, I've, I just, there's so many, there's so many vile things going on in this. This is like the self-hate. Let's be in the worst we can ever be, right? Like, it's just really nasty. See, I think... I think you might be. This might be disturbing some people, but yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember when the, the Blair Witch came out. Remember yeah, the hype yeah, that yeah. they had, and and I, you know, I can't argue it because I had a family member that I took to that movie, and they actually threw up in there. So I can't. It's probably more of the shaky cam that did it, but we're not, but I didn't want to say that. I want to keep the hype going. That it was the- well, you know, and that uh, I was, you see, I think it's also where you stand because mm-hmm. uh, people were saying that about the exorcist, right? And the head spinning mm-hmm. and all these people were throwing up right. and upset and you couldn't, don't let your youngins see it and all that. And I wasn't allowed to yeah. go see it. And there was all sorts of weird stuff going on then. It was the same thing. And I think it's the, yeah. it's the same with this. It depends on where you are right. on that, how much you've been exposed to and all that stuff. I agree. Right. I mean, and I think it. I think it's like one of those things where, you know, there are roller coaster fanatics that that want a, a roller coaster that's going to do even more. And this is this one going to mess me up, or you know? And I think that people are starting to do that with horror books and with horror movies. You know, they're kind of they want that they want to push the envelope and they want, you know, they want their uh, their entertainers to bring them even more. You know, so I think that's kind of where we are. Yeah, yeah. Because by the time I saw the Blair Witch, I was disappointed. Yeah. When I went to the theater, everybody said, oh, you're just not going to believe it. I was disappointed in that movie. Yeah. So it, I think it's just because of where I was at when I saw it. I thought, well, you know, come on. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, it was just, uh, you know, that's one that was definitely overhyped. And, and they've made more than one, too. Wow, it's crazy. I actually thought the second one was a little better. It was a little bit. It seemed like it was had a little bit more production value to the second one. So I liked for the second. The first one was I think it was more the hype that it could this be real because that was the uh, that was the hype for a while. Yeah. This was a real thing yeah. that they found footage. It was kind of early on in the years of found footage kind of cinema. Yeah, and that's too bad because they should have really done that. But they should have really hacked up the bodies or something and then <laughs> now, bring cadavers yeah. in and, now know. that would have really made it mm-hmm. yeah but anyway well so now are you doing uh social media are you doing uh pickup hookup sites for for people are you doing are you do a website where where do, where do, where do people find jerry roth are you are you t- referring to like Tinder or, or? whatever you like Tinder okay. Grinder Slasher <laughs> Kettle of Fish whatever those are. Uh, you know I'm on all the social medias, but um, I thought he was going to say I'm on all of them. Wow, <laughs> you're a busy guy. Uh, but if if you want to get a hold of me, I have a website. You can get on JerryRothAuthor.com and see about me and my books and and where I'm going to be at next and great shows like yours. Oh, you're not talking to us. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm watching TV, so. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> well, we'll have that up, of course, and people can find it with one click and all that. Sure. So, you know, and uh, maybe we'll put up a phone number or two, see if you get any calls. Do you like, okay. do, you, do you, what happens if someone um, with reviews, are you are you guy that kind of checks out the reviews and sees kind of what oh. people are saying, yes or no, and you're kind of watching and you hunt them down and kill them and... <laughs> <laughs> you know there there are levels to a writer. The first level is you know you don't you know you you give them to your friends the first time you write something. You say, "Hey, do you like it?" And really, what you're saying is, "Tell me I'm good, please." Yeah. You know, and then the next level is you know the editing part. Okay, it's like, can I? I gotta 
build up some skin so an editor says it isn't right, I got to be able to listen to them to improve myself. And then the finally, the third level is when you have readers who are just, you know, they're overjoyed to tell you they don't like something. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that's the that's the hard part. And I'm learning as I go. And I'm, you know, I'm on to my third book, uh, going to my fourth book. And I'm just learning now to, you know, to not really pay attention. You know, any review is a good re- review and it kind of kind of pushes you along the stream of life or you know on your little journey so i'm okay with bad reviews not you know i think that you know once upon a time stephen king said that you know the more bad reviews you get you know you start to find your ideal writer and and i'm happy to find my ideal writer eventually so yeah but what does he know he can't even find him on amazon <laughs> I wouldn't listen to him. I don't think he knows what to do. You know, you know, and he sells something, maybe. You know, right? You know, with, with this pandemic and all this stuff going on, you see all the weird stuff. It, it, the way people act and acted mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. You know, you've got you right. know the Trump thing that happens, and you got all these people throwing stuff at each other, and then you got all the conspiracies and stuff. When you think about how people act it, does that change the way you write a character? You think, are you, because what I'm saying is there's real people. Like if you would have wrote a character like Trump, for instance, and doing some of the stuff, um, you, you know, you could have said, well, that's unbelievable. That's a little bit too phony. Right. You know, I, I totally agree. I, the, I've questioned that myself, you know, we're seeing a lot of things, you know, even on, in the media that we've never, we've never even encountered before. You know, we always think of ourselves as, you know, good citizens, but the truth is that, you know, the pandemic has brought out really, it's not really brought out, but it's kind of revealed some of our biases and some of our bad sides that we always tried to hide. And now with social media on top of it, you know, we're, there's a lot of people that's just happy to show that side to, to the world. And uh, when I'm writing, I, you know, I can't, I could never compete with what I see on TV anymore. So I have to, you know, not even try. Yeah. Cause it's kind of weird to, to know where to draw the line. Right. Of what's real and what a real character would do or say and what wouldn't, you know, it's just, I, sometimes I look at people and think, oh, that's just too weird, you know? Yeah. But, you know, and then you've got Dave out there running around with a clown suit on and yeah. <laughs> deli- <laughs> delivering pizza. <laughs> Halloween pizza. Halloween pizza right. with pumpkin on it. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. Uh, crazy man, you know. Don't don't ever be alone with him. No. No. <laughs> well my restraining order says I can't. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's <laughs> Stay five hundred feet away. Yeah. Yeah. That's where they're Well, Mr. Roth, I'll tell you. Well now, let's see. Now the the new newest book is called Throwing Shadows and it's a dark collection. And it came out October 25th, and we're here to, you know, we've been talking with the author, Jerry Roth, and he's been telling us about his uh, conditions. And, um, well, thank you very much for being on the show. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. I I enjoyed every second that I talked with you. And, you know, I think you have the the cynical thread in your in your life the way I do. So we got along very well. And then Thanks, there's sure. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.